So this week and next week, I'm going to teach a two-week little series based upon Acts 17, 16 through 34, that I'm calling Culture Shock. Now, this series has been bouncing around in my head for probably about three months now, and uh, basically because we as believers can experience culture shock when we're engaging with the culture around us. Now, by definition, culture shock is the feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who is suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. Now, most of us experience culture shock when we travel to foreign countries. We find that people do things different. They have different, uh, they eat different things. They have different hygiene habits. They maybe drive on the wrong side of the road, as we would call it, okay? They wear different clothes. They speak a different language. Maybe they speak our language, but their words that they use for certain things mean different things. Every time we went on mission trips uh, to Ireland and England, and stuff like that, you know, they would always say, don't say this, don't say that. You're going to be in trouble if you say this or that because it doesn't mean the same thing over there. So when we go on vacations and trips to different countries, we find out these things. Hopefully you have a good tour guide that tells you things so you don't say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, eat the wrong thing, whatever it might be. But you leave and you just think, oh, that's how they do it over there, right? You just leave, you turn your back, that's how they do it over there. But if you move to a place, you normally get with the program, right? You normally get with the culture, you get with the program, whether you like it or not, it's their culture. If you decide to go against it, you may cause an issue or run into problems. So you go with the flow, you kind of get with the program. It reminds me of the historical account of St. Augustine. In the fourth century AD in the Roman Empire, it was undergoing much instability and already split. And Augustine, he was an early church Christian, and uh, he moved to Milan to take up a role as a professor. But in his previous church in Rome, they fasted on Saturdays. So when he got to Milan, they didn't fast on Saturdays. So he was like, what's going on here? And the older, wiser Ambrose actually gave him some advice. He said, when I go to Rome, I fast on Saturdays. But when I'm in Milan, I don't fast on Saturdays. If you do not want to give or receive scandal, you'll practice this too. Okay, so basically, that's where the phrase, you know the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's where it came from, okay? Most people think it's about sinning. Oh, when in Rome, right? So it's not about that. It was actually about fasting, and there's nothing in the scriptures say that Christians have to fast on Saturday, but in, in Rome, they were practicing that, and then when Augustine went there, he's like, what's going on? How come you guys don't fast? And Ambrose is like, we don't have to, but when I go there, I'll do it just because it's an encouragement to them. Right? So what happens, though? What happens when the culture changes around us or you, or you see that the culture goes against what you believe? What happens when the culture changes around us, where we live changes around us, or the culture goes against what you believe? Well, let me just tell you this. If you believe Jesus is your Savior and you're digging into the Scriptures trying to pursue a biblical worldview, I would venture to say that you're experiencing some sort of culture shock in 2022. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, right? You're, you are, by definition, disoriented what is going on, right? You turn on the TV, you hear about shootings, you see politicians arguing, you see things in the culture, you're like, what in the world is going on? 
And I will say, I don't think it's because I've been paying more attention in the last 10 years. I feel like in the past 10 years, it has ramped up so much. I don't know if it has to do with the connectivity of, of social media and smartphones and all that stuff. I don't know what it actually has to do with, but the culture is shifting very, very rapidly. And we find ourselves disoriented in our own culture. So now when this happens, we want to do something about it, right? We want to do something. So what are the common responses? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that there's three common responses that people have to culture shock. Okay, the first common response is fight. Okay. They're not going to do this. This is where I live. They're not taking this away. I won't let them change this. That's the fight mindset. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are cultural shifts that need to be fought against. Sometimes there are cultural shifts that need to be fought against. We obviously fight against things that threaten the safety and well-being of the people around us. We obviously fight those things. But sometimes, as believers, we end up fighting and trying to force people to behave in ways that they do not believe. We try to force them to behave in, in ways that they do not believe. And I'm not talking about crime. I'm talking about things like morals and moral responsibility. Sometimes we try to force people to do things that they don't believe in. So historically, let me just tell you this, it never goes well, okay? Historically, trying to force people to do things that they don't believe that they should do it does not go well. They don't believe in those things. So then we come to a conclusion that it has to come from their heart. They have to actually believe something in order to behave in that way. So we can't fight them into change. In fact, sometimes when we fight, they actually dig deeper. Any parents here? Okay. You fight, Sometimes your kid digs deeper, so you're like, okay, let me do some reverse psychology around this kid, figure out how to really try to get them to think the way that I'm thinking. So if you fight, sometimes they dig deeper. The next response is this, flight. I'm out of here, right? This is common. Common response for people when they feel like things are not going the way they want them to go, and the culture has shifted so much that I can't take it. And I'm not saying it's always wrong to get out, but sometimes God is, because sometimes God is calling you somewhere else. But lately, it's been popular to say things like this. Have you heard this one? We live in the great state of New Jersey, right? I'm leaving New Jersey where? For a better state. There is a better state, and it must be south of here, right? And people say that all the time. You talk to people, and, and you know, and I'll just tell you, quite honestly, when people say that, sometimes it's a little offensive, because I'm like, oh, sorry, you're leaving us, okay? Like, you're taking off? Because most of you realize when you say something like that, you might be leaving people that you love, your family, your friends, your church family. Maybe even more than that, you're turning your back on the exact place that God wants you in. Think about this. Like, if a Christian, we're going to talk more about flight next week, but think about this. If, if all of us Christians decide, I'm leaving for a better state, and all the Christians in New Jersey decide, we're leaving for a better state, who's, who's here? Who's left? Now, the final response, freeze. The final response is freeze. This is we do nothing. We close 
and lock the door. And like we talked about in Daniel, we hope Jesus comes back real soon, okay? We do nothing, okay? We just, okay, I'm not doing any, what can we do, okay? So we just look and we just freeze. We don't know what to do. So it just paralyzes us. Well, so if it's not fight, if it's not flight, if it's not freeze, what should we do? Well, that's easy. Complain, <laughs> right? <laughs> This stinks, okay? So now for the next 20 minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to complain about what's wrong with this world, okay? <laughs> Essentially, complaining is doing nothing, right? It's doing nothing. And let me just tell you, you can make millions complaining. How do I know? Turn on any news network. Turn it on, right? You'll have this side complaining about, this side complaining about, this side, and all they're doing is dividing, riling people up, discouraging people. They're not doing really anything to solve whatever they're complaining about. They're just complaining about it. They're promoting division, <laughs> hatred, and actually looking at people that have different ideas, different beliefs, different concepts, and different ideologies, and vilifying them. So what does Jesus want us to do? And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of today and next week. In these two weeks, I want to offer a fourth option, which is a biblical option, and that is this. Engage with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. Engage with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. You know what? When we take this approach now, all of a sudden, other people are not the enemy. They are people like you and like me that need Jesus. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? We see people through the lenses of Jesus because, you know what? The, this, this, the scriptures are true when it says we are all sinners, and we need a savior. Jesus is our savior. And guess what? He's not just our savior. He's the savior of the world. Whether somebody agrees with you or disagrees with you, he is their savior too. And he's willing to save them if they will trust in him. The scriptures tell us that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. All who believe will have eternal life. So when we engage with the culture for the sake of every person's soul, we're trying to bring that beautiful message to them. No matter what they believe now, no matter what political side they're in, no matter what they think or don't think, we're looking at them through different lenses. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement, but I believe the reason that most Christians choose fight, choose flight, or choose freeze rather than engaging with the culture for the sake of persons uh, for for the sake of every person's soul is simply this we don't care we don't care we don't care enough about them and we care more about ourselves and you know what that's a direct contradiction of what the apostle paul says in philippians 2 3 through 4 he says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Now, Paul is not saying here that we should not care about ourselves and our own interests, but what he is saying is we need to strive to count others and their needs above our own because our default is to care about ourselves. Nobody has to teach you that. Look at a two-year-old. Go to the nursery. Nobody has to teach these kids to care about themselves. Mine. I want to play with that. I want to do this. Wah. I need some food. Whatever it is, no one has to teach you to care about yourself. So Paul says, here's the thing. Your default is to care about your needs. Your default is to care about your comfort. Your default is to make you the center. But here's what I'm saying to you. You count the interests of others more important than yourself. Well, the interests of others needs to be their salvation, right? So Paul models engaging with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. In Acts 17, when he is in Athens, and he's actually shocked by the culture. So the culture didn't change around him. He just went into another culture, and he's shocked by it. So let's look and see what he says, what happens here. Excuse me. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that city was full of idols. So Paul walks into Athens, sees a city full of idols. His spirit was provoked. Now, provoking is to stimulate or incite to do or feel something. So what provoked Paul was this city was focused in on all these idols. So he walks in, he's like, okay, apparently these people are pretty religious people. They, they worship these things, but it's, it's all idols. It's all idols. So his spirit was provoked. Now, when you and I hear the term provoke, you probably normally go like I do to, to the negative, provoke. You think about if you had a sibling when you were growing up, they're like poking you, you know, stop poking me, stop poking me, stop repeating me, stop repeating me. And you're just like, oh, and then you tell your mom and your mom gets mad at you because it, your brother was provoked. You know, you think of this sibling rivalry, this provoking, right? But that's not what Paul's provoked spirit was doing now. See, in Paul's case, he was provoked by the idols because it showed that the people were genuinely interested in spiritual things and worship, and he knew the one true God, Jesus, who was to be worshiped. And these people either didn't know Jesus, didn't know about Jesus, or they knew about him and they didn't honor him. So Paul wasn't angry. He was concerned. There's a big difference, right? Sometimes we look, we see the way the culture is, we get angry. Can't believe this. And that's when we want to put up our dukes and fight, right? But there's a difference between getting angry and being concerned. Concerned for a person. Concerned for... And you know what? Christianity is spun so off kilter in so many different ways when it comes to that anger and the fight and sometimes we kind of link arms with people that don't even believe in Jesus, but they have the same political beliefs as I do. What's that? You're, you're getting yourself into a situation, maybe with somebody who doesn't really even believe who Jesus is and what he's done, but they seem to have the same political beliefs as you do. So what happens is it just gets all divided. So Paul wasn't angry. Paul wasn't angry. He was provoked. So here's what he did. How, this is how I know he wasn't angry. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul reasoned with them. 
Now, reasoning is explaining and using logic and good sense. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, let's, let's have a discussion here. Let's have a discussion. Paul went into the places that they were, reasoned with them about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Paul engaged with them in their culture and what they seemed to be interested in because he had the truth of the gospel to speak. He realized he had something of value for their eternal souls. He didn't go in there and look at the city and be like, this is disgusting. I can't believe you guys are worshiping these idols. You guys are so dumb. I can't believe this. He didn't do that. But you know what? A lot of times that's what we do in our culture. That's what Christians do in our culture. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook, follow some people, okay? Oh, I'm going to tell them how it is. Good job, okay? You just lost, okay? You just lost, but the sad part is, is you lost an opportunity to engage with somebody because you care about their soul. You lost an opportunity because you told them like it is. You told them what you believe about this specific issue. So let's move on. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So the response wasn't exactly positive at first, but it was an opportunity, right? He went in, they listened, but who are these two groups named here? Epicureans and Stoics. They're philosophers. So let me just tell you a little bit about them. Epicurean, the goal of Epicureanism is defined as pleasure achieved through removal of physical pain and mental anxiety. So in other words, they do not want to do anything difficult, okay? They want to keep life simple so they can be happy. Pleasure is paramount. And some of you are like, Dang, that sounds like my kid. <laughs> he doesn't have a job, <laughs> okay? If, some, if you have a kid like this at home, just as somebody asks you, what does your kid do? He's an Epicurean. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> now we have the Stoics, excuse me, Stoics. The Stoics believe the highest importance is self-preservation, believing that virtue and wisdom are necessary abilities to achieve satisfaction. Or in other words... Bettering yourself will bring you happiness and satisfaction. Bettering yourself. Right? So you have pleasure over here and bettering yourself over here. Wow, this kind of almost sounds like our culture, doesn't it? This sounds almost like our culture. People haven't changed very much. You realize that, right? See, Paul was speaking the truth about Jesus to them. And they called him a babbler because he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which was crazy talk to them. Crazy talk, a man rising from the dead. I mean, this is crazy talk. And you know, sometimes when we get to points in the gospel message, and we're telling people, people will be like, that's crazy. Let me just tell you, when we went through Daniel and we were going through all those, those uh, prophetic passages and stuff, there was a lot of Sundays where I was like, Lord, like, really? And then a new person would come, I'm like, they're going to think we're nuts. Okay, they're, they're seriously going to think we're nuts. But then... You hear about people that are like, oh, I, I really enjoy this. Some new person comes in there, I really enjoy this. I really learned a lot. I'm like, wow, the Holy Spirit is pretty amazing, right? He's the one touching people through his word. 
See, do you realize we have the same truths to speak to others? But the challenge is, what are the people around us interested so that we can use those things to reason with them and tell them the truth about Jesus? You see, I think a good portion of community falls into those two categories. Don't do anything hard or better yourself. I mean, that's a common slogan right now, right? Be the best version of yourself. You hear this all the time, right? So we would agree these things are important to us as well. We enjoy a nice vacation, a good meal, a fun time with family and friends. We also want to better ourselves, gain knowledge, get in shape, progress things, live a better life, whatever it is. But how does this work in our culture? Because, you know, our culture around us is changing, but there's some constants in this culture, right? So as I was thinking and praying about, you know, living here in Lacey Township, New Jersey, you know, I thought to myself, like, what are the, the things that people are interested in? Like, the, the average person that lives in our town. And, you know, I came up with these three things. This is not a comprehensive list. I'm sure there's more. So these three things in our culture are family-centered. One of the nice things about Lacey, it's a great town to bring up a family. It's a great town to bring up a family. Most of you know I have three kids, and they're, my last one's almost out of high school. And, you know, I brought up our family here in Lacey Township. Don't regret it at all. Love this town. I, I feel like they got a good education. I feel like the community was good on any given weekend. Kids are playing sports. Parents are cheering their kids on or yelling at their kids or yelling at the coaches. Um, they're on the sidelines. But, you know, it's, it's a pretty average town. Safe, good to bring up. A family, right? Some of you are out there with kids, and, and um, you know, you have this opportunity now. You're in that stage of life where you can engage with those other parents on the sidelines, right, for sports. All you young parents out there, this is an opportunity for you to meet and connect with parents. You're there for the victories. You're there for the defeats. They watch the way that you handle, the way that you handle your child, the way that you handle a bad call and don't yell at somebody, the way that you interact with other people. Your kids will have opportunities to invite them to children's and youth programs because they're around them. They're spending time with them. We have the youth programs and stuff here that are there to reach out to the community. Next, success and gain. These things are important to people in our community. Most people, or many people, go to work because they need money, and that's it. And, and if you gave them enough money to live, they'd be like, I'm never going back there again. But others of you are looking at your career, and you're like, hey, this is my calling. This is my op opportunity to not only have success and gain, but actually be in this career and be in this job to actually be a light to the community. So you look and say, you know, people, other people are there maybe for the, for the reason of just success and gain. So now you're there and you're like, okay, yeah, it's important to me to have success and gain, but what's more important is I don't find my fulfillment in those things. I find my fulfillment in Jesus. So you're out there and you're maybe talking about your relationship with the Lord, talking about the things that you're going through. The next is leisure and hobbies. What are things you enjoy? Use those things to connect with other people and enjoy those things with them. Maybe you know a bunch of people that are involved in a, in a hobby that you're interested in. Maybe it's taking that up and connecting with them in that way and having them teach you what's going on. You, it gives you an opportunity to build a relationship. 
I mean, guys, this is very important for guys. I'm not saying it's not important for girls, but they say women are more face-to-face. -face. They're more interested in talking to one another where guys go and do, and they, they, they call us shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. So that's why guys will go fishing and be like, hey, hey, okay. <laughs> and then they, they come home and their wife says, what'd you talk about? Nothing. <laughs> you know? So it might take literally hours and hours and years and years to actually get into a real spiritual conversation. But you see, here's the thing. Back a long time ago, and I don't even know how long time ago, it was open the doors and people come to the church. Now it's open the doors, you go out, and you're the testimony. You're the witness. Let me just tell you, most of the people that come to our church are, come by invite of people that come to our church. Okay, the people that just come into our church without knowing anybody or not being invited are usually Christians that are relocating. Christians that are relocating. I talk to people at the door all the time. I'll say, oh, who told you about us? And I just ask those little questions. Do you live here in town? And that's what I'm getting back. Okay, so the average non-Christian isn't like, hmm, let's go to church today. 70 degrees and beautiful. Boat, church. Mm, you know, what are you going to do? You know, well, I am a kind of an Epicurean. So here's the thing. When we engage with the culture, people see that we're a lot like them, that we're a lot like them. And they feel comfortable talking with us and hearing what we have to say. That does not mean they're going to believe right away. That does not mean they're going to believe ever but you're there. And here's what we do know about people, whether it's family-centered, success, gain, leisure, hobbies, whether it's all those things, here's what we do know. You and I know this sad truth. Something bad will happen in their lives. They'll lose someone they love. They'll get sick. They'll lose their job. Something bad will happen. Inevitably, you will not walk through life without some kind of bad thing happening. And guess what? You are there. You are there to encourage them, to pray for them, to engage with them. Something bad will happen in your life. And guess what? They see you, how you handled it, how you dealt with it, how you maybe didn't fight, how you didn't fly away, how you didn't freeze, how you handled it in a biblical manner. So let's see what happens. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. So they questioned Paul. So if Paul went in there and he was like, I'm fighting these people. They don't get it. They have these idols. They're dumb. Like if he went in there like that with his dukes up, do you think this would have been the outcome? No, he would have got thrown out. He might have gotten beat up at that point, actually. So they questioned Paul. Just like when we spend time with people, they're going to question us. When we go through something difficult, when they see how we handle it, it can be an opportunity to engage with them. When people mock what we believe, we don't argue with them. We give them a respectful answer. The culture right, that we live in can be so messed up. You know, people will take to social media and tell everybody what they should believe or what they should think or how dumb these people are on this side and how smart these people are on that side. Listen to me. You're going to lose, okay? 
you're going to lose. When the culture takes a left turn and we think it should go right, we don't belittle, we don't criticize, we try to engage and understand and insert biblical truth when appropriate, they'll be like more likely to listen. And let me just tell you, this is hard work. Okay, this is I'm in it for the long haul. This is I'm having conversations and spending time with people that maybe I don't agree with anything in their life right now, but I'm still there for them. Just because they're doing something wrong and you're spending time with them does not make you sinful. It makes you a witness to them. If they pull you into their sinful thing, that's a whole different story. But what I'm saying here is this. We need to be a light to the community. Remember what Jesus said? When you light a lamp, you don't stick it under a bowl, okay? You put it out on a lampstand so it can shine before all people. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful that there were people in my life when I was 18 years old that were willing to let their life shine and not cast me aside because I didn't agree with everything they were telling me at that time. So here's the thing. When we engage with people for the sake of it, it changes it, doesn't it? Now I can look. You turn on the TV, somebody, you're like, I can't stand this person, or I can't stand these. Like, now, like, think, what's going on in this person's life? Like, what, what's going on in their heart? It, all of a sudden, it just changes your perspective. If you look at them as the enemy, it's, that's the easy way. You look at them as somebody who needs Jesus, now you really have to actually work. So let's look. Now the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. We're actually going to stop with this verse, but part of their culture was that's what they did. They hung out. Yo. I mean, my, picture, my mental picture is like a bunch of sheets, like big white beards. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> I don't know if it looked like that. The, the, the art depicted kind of looks like that. And Paul could easily looked and been like, are you kidding me? You guys are wasting your time. What a bunch of losers. You guys think you're so smart. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what Paul could have did. And we don't even know all the conversations. The scriptures doesn't expound upon all the conversations, but it says... He reasoned with them. And say so he argued. says he reasoned with them. So here's the thing. They could have been wasting their time. That could have been 100% true. Paul wasn't concerned about that as much as he was concerned about them. Let me go and talk with them. Let me see if, they're he- let me see if they're, they'll hear me out. So Paul was provoked in spirit to engage with the culture. He was provoked in spirit to engage with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. What in our culture provokes you to engage with? What in our culture provokes you to engage with? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to observe communion together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. thankful for each person that's here. I'm thankful for your word and how it can inspire us and encourage us to actually care for the souls of other people to not look at people as the enemy because we don't agree with what they think, what they say, what they do, that they do things that go directly against your word and who you are and what you've done. But you, the loving, gracious, merciful God, is still willing to lay down your life for them. That communicates to us that we should love them and care for them and tell them about you. 
So I pray that we're the people in this culture that are willing to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.